HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is presented by Forever Cheese. Learn more at forevercheese.com. Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd. This is Jessica, and I'm joined today by Marissa Mullen, founder of That Cheese Plate, creator of Cheese by Numbers Method, and author of That Cheese Plate Will Change Your Life. Marissa's new book, That Cheese Plate Wants to Party, is out now, and she's here to talk about it and other things with us. And welcome to Cutting the Curd, Marissa. Hello. Thanks for having me. So excited. So you were on Cutting the Curd. when your first book came out and yes. you talked with Diane Stemple, that cheese plate will change your life, changed your life. It did. Yes. That was four years ago now, which is crazy. Unbelievable. So and much time has passed. And it's a different kind of book launch this time around. Yes. I get to do it in person, which is so <laughs> much fun because the last book came out in May of 2020. I think that podcast we did was uh, 2019 mm-hmm. around, was that the Wisconsin cheese event? I believe. I don't know. It was like upstairs at um, a Wisconsin cheese event, and they had this like massive cheese board table situation overflowing with cheese, um, which actually inspired my book tour that I'm doing now for these uh, cheese party concepts. Yes, which is on my list to ask you about because it sounds like a great, a great tour to be on. During that conversation with Diane, you talked about how the act of making a cheese plate is an act of Mm self-care and that it was at that time, it was about getting out of the, you know, getting out of your hectic mind and out of work mode. And I love that. I love cheese as self-care and the art, the ritual of making a cheese plate. Then in the introduction of this book, That Cheese Plate Wants to Party, you write, This book is about turning self-care communal, celebrating the people around us, and using the food we put on the table to tell our stories. Can you tell us about that discovery of cheese and cheese plates and cheese boards as self-care, and then taking it further and talking about the communal aspect of care? Where did that come from? Yeah, for sure. So 
I started getting really into designing my own cheese boards as I was working in late night television. And um, after college, I moved to New York. I worked at The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and I was a personal assistant. So my job revolved around my boss. Um, we usually worked weekends, but then when we had weekends off, it would be my time to literally just like root down in the present moment and make a cheese plate for my friends later on. So in the moment though, while I was making these cheese plates, I'd always be by myself, uh, natural light in my apartment, mm-hmm. music playing, and it would just be this like calming ritual for me. Right. Um, and I loved it so much. And it was that one thing that I could find that really felt like I was taking time for myself. Um, you know, when you're cutting vegetables or folding meat, you can't be on your phone, you can't be scrolling, you know, so it really does make you feel very present. And um, over time, it just became this form of almost like pottery or watercolor, like an artistic form of expression for me that really made me feel calm. And the communal aspect is, you know, you have this solo time making the plate, but then when you serve your plate to your friends, it's a whole nother version of self-care where then people can come together and talk about the cheese plate around the cheese plate. Um, We used to have and still do, but took a little pause in COVID, something that I called cheese parties, which is the inspiration for the second book. And I would make a bunch of cheese plates, um, you know, for Instagram or for if I was doing any work with brands or whatnot, um, alongside the late show. (laughs) And at night we'd have all of our friends come over and we'd throw these big cheese parties. So you'd walk into our apartment. It was me and my roommate at the time. And there'd be about, you know, four different cheese plates spread around the apartment and everyone would come in and ask about the cheese and like tell stories and drink wine and just have such a good time. Um, and these ended up growing bigger and bigger. And so, uh, that I feel like, you know, with, my whole experience with cheese, it always revolved around like, instead of, you know, people coming over and everyone's watching TV, it's people coming over, sitting at a kitchen table around a cheese plate. So that's kind of where um, the communal aspect of the self-care comes in. You know, what I was thinking about when I was looking through the book is also how it and in every party, people end up in the kitchen. Always. <laughs> always. It becomes the most crowded room in you know, in the party, it, it's where it's not just where the food is, although I think people try and move the food out of the kitchen to, yeah, like, to move the people yes. out <laughs> yeah. or they think, let's put it where the chairs and couches yeah. are. Yeah. But no, people end up standing and it's where the production is happening. Right. And they just stay there. Yeah, and I I love that. And I also think there's a bit of indulgence involved in the whole art of making a cheese plate. Totally. And yeah. It's it's a total treat. I, I love that. So. This idea of the cheese plate, um, we pay so much attention to it. It's gotten so much attention for years. Yeah. It just feels like it's it's ever present on social media, which has been a big part of your career. Totally. Uh, and so what is it about cheese plates? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's two things. There's the aesthetics of it, and then there's the taste of it. So it's like taste, I'll start first, because that's the most important. Um, with a cheese board or cheese plate, you can have so many different varieties of pairings um, versus, you know, if you served one dish, that's just one option. Whereas a cheese plate has hundreds of options of what you can pair together. Um, I love the customization of it. You know, you can make a cheese plate on any budget, which is great. I always say invest in good cheese and then the rest can follow. Um, You can make cheese plates for any themes, as you've seen in the book and Mm -hmm. on Instagram. There's just so many different ways that you can utilize um, 
almost like the stories of what the cheese is telling. And um, like, if you want to lean into an Italian theme, you can do that. If you want to lean into a French theme, you can do that. And aesthetics wise, it is just so beautiful to put a cheese plate together. The colors, the textures, um, the edible flowers, if you want to garnish with that and herbs, I think it acts as both a delicious thing to eat, but then also almost like a centerpiece on um, a tablescape as well. Right, kind of like a focal point, but also it's just a, a place we all go and we take what we take from. I love that. It's almost like grazing together yeah. and yeah, and picking and choosing. I noticed right away in your book, first of all, you do um, talk about the cheese by numbers idea, which mm-hmm. is kind of like the, the roadmap to putting yes. these together. And the book really does highlight flavor, texture, Mm -hmm. and color. The book is filled with color. And some of the boards, right off the bat, when you get into the meat and potatoes of the book, you start with cheese boards, their moods, Mm -hmm. and they're all very much about color. Can you talk a bit about the, the design aspect of the book from that perspective. Yeah, for sure. So each cheese plate in the book has a set of four colors that uh, correlate to the colors on the plate. And I call those uh, that cheese palette. And essentially the idea, when I started writing this book, I was thinking about, you know, gatherings as a whole and how gatherings come together in my mind. And instead of thinking about a theme first and then the food, I always start with the food and then think outward from there. So with the cheese plates, I always wanted to kind of start my party with the plate. So what colors do we see on this plate and how can we derive those colors for our florals or for our tablescape design? And so I sat one by one and hand selected four colors for each plate. Um, And that is kind of your inspiration for the rest of your party. I think, you know, colors are so important in, um, I mean, senses in general are very important in throwing a party and colors, I think, really can dictate a mood and a feeling. Um, when you're in the beginning of the book, there's that warm tones plate and it's all shades of orange and red and yellow. And that reminds me of like a sunset and something yes. warm and inviting. There's that cool tones plate, which is shades of blue and purples. And that one is something that's more of a soothing, like maybe you're next to a lake or a body of water. Um, a lot of these plates for me are very visual. And, um, you know, I think as someone who is, um, I'm an artist at heart, like photography was my background. I think that it's really important to kind of tie in all those elements of what the cheese plate can show as almost like a canvas. And so the color was super important for me. I wanted to have photos for every single recipe in the book, every single cheese plate. There's actually like seven photos for each cheese plate because yes, you have the step by step. I'm looking right now at a, a, it's a oh, the two, charcuterie. Yeah, the charcuterie <laughs> board. And there's six, you know, kind of step-by-step photos on one side and then you have the finished product. But then you also have, I've noticed, you have where the recipe is, you have a photo of the finished product. And then there's like, a, it's almost like a rendering. Is that a... Yeah, so that's an illustration. It's gorgeous. It's, um, it's funny if you compare the two books, the illustrations are so different in style. It's the same illustrator. So a friend of mine, Sarah Galanchi, I met her working at The Late Show. Um, she still works there now. And she just is an artist as her side hustle and as a hobby. And at The Late Show, she would doodle illustrations of guests on the show for social media. And one day I asked her um, to design a tote bag for me, like my very first merch item. And so she 
illustrated this cheese plate. And when the first book came up, um, you know, I really wanted to do cheese by numbers maps as illustrations because it's similar to paint by numbers. So she came on board and illustrated that. And for the second book, we were like, okay, what can we do to kind of elevate this a little bit more to make it more, you know, second book, wiser, older sister, party vibes. And she came up with this, uh, this style of illustration that is so photorealistic. Um, and if you look really closely, you can tell it's illustrated, but there's like glistening on the grapes and so much detail. It's insane. It really is. I I was pretty sure it was an illustration. And then I kept thinking, well, maybe it's a filter. No, it's, yeah. a, it's a real drawing. It's it's really lovely. Uh, the, the layout of the book is really beautiful. I... Um, I love the DIY approach of that cheese plate. I love the way that you do highlight some cheeses by name. Mm -hmm. But when you were talking about the different price points and such, there are definitely, if you work in the cheese industry and you look at these photos, you can, you know, we can recognize, yeah. like, oh, that's like, that cheese. That's, that's, that's Bailey Hazenblue. Right. <laughs> I think on that one. Yeah. But there are some cheeses that I see in here that I, that I recognize, oh, that's at my local supermarket in, you know, in the deli. I know what that price point is and mm-hmm. it, or I get it at, you know, I don't want to name too many places, but you know, there, you can see there really is a range. There's like your name brand, like artisanal mm-hmm. creamery. And then there's something that's a little more commercially available. Yeah. Yeah. I like to try to balance, um, you know, in between the two, because with my following, not everyone has, um, you know, access to a nice cheese shop or the funds to afford cheese. And I don't want to kind of exile anyone from still having fun making cheese plates if they can't afford it. But I also, on the other hand, really want to shine light on cheesemakers that I love and, um, you know, bring attention to people who might not know about these amazing cheeses, U.S. made or beyond. And so what I did in the book, instead of um, listing exact cheese names in the uh, ingredients at the bottom I'll say my favorite styles of said cheese and that's where I list all of like my favorite producers yeah the layout of the book really includes a lot of information there's section on florals there's also (laughs) um the section on cocktails which Mm -hmm. I I thought was really exciting there's a few in there I want to try but I do want to just say one more thing about the DIY is that I know in your uh, interview with Diane, you talked about taking the photos for your book on your phone. Mm-hmm. Is that still true? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's a better iPhone, so the quality is better. This one, I'll say 85% of the photos are with the iPhone. Um, the other photos, there's photos in between, sort of like behind the scenes, um, in between chapters and whatnot that have been taken with an SLR camera. So I had a few friends um, shoot some like behind the scenes stuff for me. But um, you can, I think you can tell which ones are the SLR and which ones are the iPhone. I'm not sure though. I cannot. (laughs) I cannot. Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of hard to tell, which is crazy. But um, yeah, with the first book, I, you know, I take all my photos with my iPhone on Instagram and I asked the publisher if that was possible. And what's great about my publisher, I'm with the Dial Press, which is an imprint of Random House. And I'm their only cookbook on their whole uh, repertoire. So they didn't really have any rules for me to follow, whereas other, you know, cookbook imprints have very strict rules of like what you can and cannot do in terms of design. And you have to hire a photographer. You have to hire a food stylist. Dial Press was kind of just like, 
you do you. We like your stuff. Go for it. And so I food styled the whole book myself. I took all the photos myself. Um, most of them for this book, actually, um, a lot of them were taken on a white poster board. And since I took the photos with my iPhone, I was able to create place the plates in places that they were intended to be enjoyed. So for example, that by the fire plate that you see in there, I was in upstate New York with my friends in the fall. We made the plate, we ate it next to a fire. So it's like the plates that I made, I got to actually experience in the moment in this cheese party energy versus being in like a sterile studio. So I think that also can kind of be felt on the pages a little bit. I also love that it goes everything from cheese plate for one. Yeah. All the way up to grazing tables. Yeah. That grazing tables are, it's amazing to me. I don't think I have the eye for it. Like to be able to translate an empty space and fill it like this kind of book would definitely help (laughs) with that. And, um, yeah, I just love all the components. So for anyone who's listening who isn't familiar with the Cheese by Numbers, do you want to give a little overview of what what is that? What yeah. is that approach and how did you come up with it? Yeah, so Cheese by Numbers is the step-by-step method to creating a cheese plate. And I came up with this method um, a while. It was probably 2017 and I was coloring with my cousins and I decided to just like sketch out a cheese plate. And I realized that it almost resembled like a paint by numbers map. And when I make a cheese plate, I always would make it in the same order every time, no matter what. I would never start with the produce or I'd never start with the meat. It'd always be cheese, meat, produce, crunch, dip, and garnish. Um, In the first rendition of the book, we had seven steps because I separated Uh, fruits and vegetables (laughs) into different steps. And we decided to just put that together to produce. So basically when you go through making a cheese plate, you find your foundation. So that's a plate, a board, a slate, marble slab, whatever you want. And you start with the cheese. So um, this is where I'll place, you know, hard cheese, soft cheese. You want a variety, usually like three to five cheeses. If you're serving a group of like, you know, three to five people or more. You just want a variety on there. And I always like to pre-cut my hard cheeses, leave the soft cheese whole, just so it's easy for guests to graze. Step two is where meat comes in. So this is our charcuterie. So I'll do salami, mortadella, prosciutto. Uh, In the book, we also have like uh, grilled chicken on a plate and smoked salmon on a plate. So this covers all of our protein. And the meat is, you know, complementary to the cheese because they're both salty and fatty. So that's a nice little friendship there. Um, step three is produce. And this is where I say paint with your produce. So this is where we're adding all like the rich color. So you can do blueberries, blackberries, strawberries. Um, I like to create produce ponds in addition to the meat, which I forgot to mention salami river is the term I created to, uh, represent salami flowing down the center of the plate. Right. So if you are using salami, feel free to fold a salami river into place. And then we add in our produce ponds. I don't know why they're all nature themed, but it just kind of happened <laughs> well, that way. Well, it works. It, yeah. It's, it's where uh, it all starts, right? <laughs> exactly. So when you're adding your produce, you again, want to think about pairing. So, um, you know, are you doing fresh cheeses? If you are, maybe, you know, fresh fruit would go well with that. If you're doing aged cheeses, why not olives or cornichons? So, or dried fruit. So you kind of want to think about, again, the color, but the flavor first. And this book does a really good job at kind of um, building different bites to tell you what actually does go well together. Step four is crunch. So that's where we're gonna add in all of our crunchy elements. So crackers for a vehicle, nuts for a little texture element. Um, I like to keep it simple with crackers, nothing too overpowering in flavor because you want the cheese to shine. 
Step five is dips. So this is where we kind of kick in the, the pairings. We can go on the polar end of the sweet spectrum with honey and jams. We can go into bitter with some mustard and fill in your lone ramekins with the dips. And then last but not least is the garnish, step six. And that's where I add in any sort of fresh herbs, edible flowers, and that really brings your cheese plate from just an appetizer to that center tablescape at your party. Yeah, a little bit of intention, a little bit of intentionality mm-hmm. goes a long way in this case. Totally. Yeah, and now we're we're heading into the season where those herbs and flowers, you could like, depending on where you live, you could just walk outside. Yeah, that was the <laughs> best part about COVID for me. Um, <laughs> there was good parts. Um, I was living at my parents' house and my mom is an avid gardener. And I mentioned her a few times in this book. Um, she has... Ellen Mullen's flower bouquet arrangement tips because she's always been super into flowers my whole life. And we together planted an herb garden um, with a ton of different edible flowers. Oh, wonderful. And so as the summer happened, I had just a plethora of like marigolds and nasturtiums and violas and all of these edible flowers that I could garnish my cheese plates with. And it felt like the lottery. It was amazing because in New York, it's so hard to find edible flowers. Right. Um, so that was that was great to, to have. I love, I love it. I, I actually marked that page, Ellen Mullen's flower arranging tips, <laughs> choose a variety, add height. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something that always pops up. Even when you're putting like plants in a planter yeah. for the front of your, you want, you want the, it's a spiller, the thriller, and the, there's another one. I don't remember, but you want height and then uh, use greenery, vase and place or vase and place. So the vase rhymes. So what is the vase and place? I I can read it, but I'm curious if you want to explain it. Um, This idea of um, using uh, like um, vessels. Yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, you can think outside the box in terms of what kind of vase you're using. Um, You know, like if you are outside and you want something that's kind of more earthy, you can use a terracotta vase. If you're inside and it feels more of like a sit down dinner, you can do a nice classic glass vase. Um, there's square, like there's short square ones. There's tall oval ones. There's so many different types of vases in the world or vases, um, that I feel like consider, you know, where you are and what kind of tablescape you have. And then you can play around with different fun vases. You can use like Mason jars if it's more of like a picnic element. Right. Right. It definitely is expanding, expanding the idea. Well, that's where the party part comes in too, right? We're, we're going off the just the plate and we're thinking about everything that's surrounding it as well. And then the last one is get creative. So I noticed your mom also contributes a cocktail. Yes, both my parents do. Yeah. A lot of this book is inspired by my parents because growing up, um, they were the ones to introduce me to cheese plates. Right. (laughs) So I was always on like cheese plate and appetizer duty when they'd have friends over and they're avid entertainers. My dad is a self-taught cook. And in high school, he just developed this crazy hobby of cooking and I say crazy because he would do this thing called test kitchen where he would come up with this like full-blown five course meal and we'd invite friends over and he'd make small plates for everyone and just get super creative in the kitchen so that was kind of like the the environment I grew up in and with this book a lot of these plates remind me of growing up um and just you know different gatherings we'd have there's one called the hot grill summer plate and it has hot dogs on it because We would have pool parties in the summer and my family and family friends coined this term appadog, which is an appetizer hot dog. (laughs) So that's on the plate in the book. Um, But the drink section is super fun because I asked 
my parents, but then also some friends of mine in the cheese world to contribute a drink and a cheese pairing. So we have um, Madame Fromage, one of my favorites. She does a bijou gin drink with bijou from Vermont Creamery. Uh, my friend Erica, who runs Cheese Sex Death, she did a her mom's gin and tonic. Um, I have my friend Cheese Gal, Courtney LaCourt in Nashville. She went big on Instagram for her dirty martinis. So we have that with blue cheese stuffed olives. Um, there's, there's so many different types of, uh, cocktails. I, I almost treat it like, um, a, a cheese woman of cheese, potluck, bring your own cocktail chapter. It's great. <laughs> Plus my parents. <laughs> yes. And I, and I actually, Erica, I'm going to make your mom's drink. I'm just yes. letting you know that right now. Um, no, it's, it's really wild. So I'm going to say this is a good time for us to pause for a little word from one of our wonderful sponsors here at Cutting the Curd, and we'll be right back with more with Marissa Mullen. Forever Cheese, a leading importer of cheese and specialty food, has sourced exceptional products from Italy, Spain, Portugal, and Croatia for 25 years. Offering a wide selection of artisan cheese, charcuterie, nuts, crackers, preserves, and more, their products are sold in stores nationwide. Forever Cheese seeks out the best of the Mediterranean and focuses on sharing stories from their family of producers. Each product has a unique story and their goal is to celebrate each one. From drunken goat to genuine Fulvi Pecorino Romano, Mostarda to Mitica Marcona almonds, and Duya to Jamon Iberico, Forever Cheese is proud to offer products they love from people they believe in. Their passion, quality, and range are unmatched. Learn more at forevercheese.com and look for their products in a grocery store, restaurant, or specialty food shop near you. Hi, we're back. Cutting the curd. This is Jessica with Marissa Mullen, author of That Cheese Plate Wants to Party. Woo! She's also the author of That Cheese Plate Will Change Your Life, which as it's often said in a lot of interviews, it did. Yes, it did. <laughs> so I wanted to just go back a little bit, and you said you worked in entertainment and music before making the leap mm-hmm. to doing that cheese plate full-time. So tell us about that time. I know you've, you've talked about it um, when you were here with Diane, but I think for a lot of people making that leap into food, into a food career, but for you it wasn't just food. It was also, like, it was multifaceted. Yeah, yeah. It, so basically, I started that cheese plate, um, the Instagram account, ten years ago, wow. which is crazy. Was, Happy anniversary! Thank you. It was uh, December 2013. I checked like the the uh, info on my Instagram account the other day, and back then, Instagram was very different from what it is now. You know, I originally started it because I wanted to have a centralized location for cheese plate inspiration for parties I was throwing in college. <laughs> And so I would compile photos I found on Pinterest and wedding websites and just put them on this page. But as I was, um, you know, going through, this is probably the last year of college for me, I was studying music business and communications and I kind of treated the Instagram like it was an artist and I was its manager. So I made it a logo and a merch store and down the line eventually started teaching cheese classes and doing events. Um, But that was always kind of like my alter ego, passion project, fun thing on the side. Never expect it to be a job. And uh, my full-time job or my my passion that I was going into was working in the music business. Um, I've always been really passionate about music since I was young. 
Uh, I'd go to shows instead of house parties <laughs> growing up. And I really, so I, my, one of my first internships, I went to Northeastern and they do this thing called the co-op program. Mm-hmm. So it's a super immersive internship program. And one of them was at the uh, late night with Jimmy Fallon. So I was working with the roots and with all the guest bands on the show. And it was the craziest internship of my life. I worked the premiere of, um, the tonight show, Jimmy Fallon. And so the, experiences I got to have there with music were just like mind blowing. And I remember leaving the job. I still had a year left of college. And I told my mom that um, I didn't want to do anything else besides work at a late night TV show in the music department. And Mm -hmm. at the time there was four late night hosts. So it was just not really like, yeah, it's like, oh, you want to go to Harvard? Okay. (laughs) Um, But I, something about me is like, you know, if I want to do something, I'll just put my head down and try as hard as I can. And if it doesn't work out, you know, it's okay. One day it will. Mm -hmm. Um, and with this, I just, you know, hit up everyone I knew who remotely could be, um, involved. Like, so I learned that Colbert was taking over for David Letterman and he needed a music department. So they were building it from the ground up. That's something that happened when I was leaving, uh, Jimmy Fallon. And there was like multiple things that happened that, um, led me to this job. I, One of my brother's friends was working at the Colbert Report. He passed along my resume. My resume came in through um, The Roots production manager's wife who worked at Seth Meyers, who, you know, they thought I was a good intern. They put my name in. So it kind of, it was a combination of timing, luck, and hard work. Um, But lo and behold, I ended up working at The Late Show Stephen Colbert for four years. I was John Batiste's personal assistant and um, the house band coordinator. And over time, about you know two years into this, um, John's career was growing rapidly, and he was doing a lot more outside of the show. So he was doing you know touring on the road and uh, playing galas and doing all these events, and needed someone to support him with that. So there was a little bit of time, probably about an eight month stretch, where I was doing both, <laughs> working at the Late Show and on the road with John. And I think that's when cheese plates really came in clutch for me in the self care aspect <laughs> because I did not have a life. Um, and when I did have time off, I was like, need to root down and be present <laughs> and chill. Um, but then I ended up leaving The Late Show in 2018 and just working for John um, off the show. But that was amazing because he gave me a lot of creative um, freedom. Like I ran his social media. I creative directed music videos for him. Um, every performance he did on The Late Show, I got to creative direct, which was incredible because at the time before Cheese kind of came in, um, my goal in this music world was to creative direct music videos and live performances. That's kind of the, uh, the path I was going down. But I sort of hit a point there where, you know, I was a personal assistant still, and there wasn't really a lot of room for me to grow in that. Um, and again, like, you know, you're working for someone else, not yourself. And as much as he did give me creative control, the creativity was for him, not me. So having that cheese plate on the side was like my outlet for my own creativity. And I think that's really what led me to keep building it. Um, It just brought me so much joy to make these cheese plates and to put them on Instagram and see reactions from people and um, just explore different worlds. And I think, um, you know, when I created the cheese by numbers method, that's when it started to click with people because it gave a method and a step-by-step for others to create cheese boards. And something that I've learned with social media is that you can never be self-serving. It always has to be of service for people um, if you want to be successful. So it's like, I think having that formula 
um, you know, made people want to experiment themselves. And that led to me coming up with the book concept, um, talking to a, a book agent in Brooklyn who pitched me to 20 different publishers. Everyone didn't want to do it because I didn't have enough followers at the time. So I got rejected by everyone. Um, but again, you know, things work out as they're supposed to. And I made the Instagram for Cheese by Numbers to showcase how the method worked. And the Rachel Ray show found it in late 2018, which um, I went on the show, talked about it. And it was a funny day because I was doing that in the morning. And then at night or later in the day, I went to my job at the late show. And so I was like on TV and then a personal assistant right. all on the same day. And I was like, <laughs> this is very strange. This is my life. <laughs> yeah. And that was kind of the thing to kick it off um, press wise, you know, after Rachel Ray, the Today Show happened and then article with Vox. And then I accidentally went viral on an airplane for making a cheese plate on a tray table. And I landed and it was on like travel and leisure. It was just an insane stretch of time between late 2018 and early 2019. Um, and that's when I was like, oh, okay, I think this might be something bigger. Um, but I did, wasn't financially you know, secure to leave my job at all. I wasn't even getting paid very well at my job. And there was no way that I could have done that full time. Um, but then the Dial Press, they saw me on the Today Show and uh, they saw the whole kind of cheese plates are self-care mantra and approached me and asked if I was interested in writing a book. And so... It was the one imprint that my old agent didn't pitch to. So I was able to go with them without working with this said agent. And it almost, it was like a universe synchronicity, things just opening up. And I was like, I have to do it. I have to take the leap. Um, but that being said, like it was, it's very hard to take the leap if you're not financially backed by anyone, if you, you know, don't know where this is going. I think for me, a, a big thing that did help me was that I got a book deal. So I was able to kind of like, pivot for a second and be like, okay. And it wasn't even enough money to last me through the year, but it was enough for me to like pay rent for a few months and be like, okay, I'm going to hit the ground running. I'm going to start to build this business, figure it out. Um, so yeah, that's long story short. But even, even to get that book deal, there was a lot of hard work because you had to market yourself. I yeah. mean, they're, they were looking for you to have already taken yourself to a certain point of success. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then they were like, OK, well, now we can leverage that. But exactly. Yeah. The marketing, does that come easy for you to be like you, you're marketing yourself, you're putting yourself out there? Yeah, it does. It does when I'm passionate about something. I think, you know, if you um, gave me a topic to market that I didn't find much interest in, it would be much harder. <laughs> but because cheese plates have been part of my life for so long, for my whole life, and I love photography, I'm natural at social media. I've been, you know, on MySpace to Tumblr to Twitter to all of it. Um, that's just kind of like what my generation was raised on. And um, just Instagram in general is something that feels like second nature to me. It did feel, it does feel easy. Um, I think nowadays though, it's much different because of the algorithms and, you know, back then you would post something and everyone who follows you sees it. And that's that now there's just so much more going on. Like you can post something and only 10% of your followers see it. So that opens up a whole nother conversation of mental health in social media, because it's like, okay, I post something. I'm super excited about it. I'm creative or I'm announcing something doesn't get in the algorithm. No one likes it. 
then you think it's you. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually started a podcast last year with one of my friends, Leslie Mosier, who runs the Instagram for Doug the Pug. He's a famous dog on the internet. And we talk about all these, um, you know, mental health struggles in the entertainment and content creation industries, especially with um, just how content is being spread these days. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, with leading up to the book deal of that cheese plate, um, like I said, I got rejected by all those publishers because I didn't have enough followers and I didn't have enough press. They bla- they just were like, nope, sorry. And at the time, I think I had like 30,000 followers or something. That still wasn't enough for them. Um, but I think I kind of hit this point where cheese plates were on the rise and I kind of got to ride that wave, um, which again did help with the marketing. Like I think I was creative with it and I was consistent with it, which is two things that you have to be if you're on social media, consistency is key. And then, like I said before, like serve others and create a space where people can feel like things are doable or they're beautiful or, you know, they're compelling in some way. Um, but having that rise of cheese plates and charcuterie boards on Instagram and TikTok, especially in like 2019, 2020 really helped me kind of soar. Yeah. The TikTok is teaching a whole generation. And when I say generation, I mean like teenagers Mm -hmm. and even younger teaching them how to cook. Yeah. It's incredible. It's nuts. Seeing all the creators come out of the TikTok era is wild. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my my 14-year-old has been teaching herself to cook through TikTok. That's She's amazing. Just, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty incredible. But it makes me sad because I'm like, use a cookbook. I know, She's right? Like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> and a short tiny little video with Ugh. no words. Um so I I also want to talk a little bit about um your in the in the book, you mentioned Anne Saxelby in the acknowledgments, mm-hmm. which of course Cutting the curd, we have a very close connection with Anne. So tell us about your connection to Anne, because um, it's it's really what you close the book with before you get to the index is this beautiful acknowledgement of her work. Yeah. Um, so Anne was the person who welcomed me into the cheese world with open arms, you know, coming from the music business and this crazy world that I was in before cheese. Um, I definitely felt like an imposter syndrome, like imposter that knew nothing. (laughs) Um, Because the cheese world is so vast. People have worked in it for decades and there's just so much to learn, especially, you know, I'm coming into this writing a cookbook about it. Like, who am I to say that? And Anne was one of those, I mean, one of the only, there are so many nice people in cheese, but she was the one who was like, let me teach you and I will help you and had the most, you know, warm, welcoming energy to her. Um, and everyone can say that who, who knew her, she was just so passionate about what she did. Um, so kind, you know, when I, uh, I started writing for food 52 and I did this whole article about, uh, cheddar and the history of cheddar. And I got to interview Anne for the whole thing. And in that one interview, I learned so much about cheddar that I like, I'm like, I just got a full deep dive of cheddar because of Anne. And um, I was lucky enough to do a cheese class with her in COVID where we sourced cheese from Saxelby's and um, she came on and talked about all the artisanal US cheesemakers who made the different cheeses. We made a cheese plate together, Um, but she was just always so open to supporting me and helping me kind of, you know, launch into the cheese world. Right. You uh, are definitely educating a lot of people yourself about cheese and the possibilities of 
ways to um, approach it and also to serve and to turn other people on to cheese because that's what we that's what we all love exactly <laughs> yes. we, we all love turning people on to new flavors and textures and telling them the story of where it came from and who made it and you know what the weather was like the day the cow was milked yeah so I was wondering what opportunities have you been surprised by with this foray into into the cheese world I know you got to travel yeah yeah I mean, so many. Um, it's it's crazy because there's just, I think COVID kind of threw a wrench in things a little bit because um, before COVID, I was kind of on this like travel journey of, I went to Wisconsin. I got to go to Uplands Cheese and meet Andy and the whole team there. Um, did this whole like Wisconsin journey. I went to Sonoma and did a California cheese experience where we went to Marin French Dairy. We went to Point Reyes, got to just meet all the cheesemakers. And that was all fall of 2019. Um, spring of 2020, I did a little like upstate, or before COVID, I did a little like upstate cheese trip where I visited Churchtown Dairy and Cato Corner and some other cheese farms, dairy farms up there. And then COVID happened. So I feel like it was kind of for everyone, of course, it was this halt. Um, and it took a while to get back into the travel element. But because of the shift, I was able to really grow my social media presence, but then also really grow the concept of that cheese class, which is my DIY cheese plate classes. So this was something that I started in 2018 and teamed up with a bar called Lois, which is now closed. It was in East Village and it was almost like a paint and sip class. So I teach you how to make a cheese plate. Everyone makes their own. You don't have to make it the same as mine, but you can just kind of use the cheese by numbers method to figure it out. And uh, they were so much fun. And so I moved that into a virtual space when COVID happened. And that opened up so many new doors of, you know, this way to teach to people from all across the country and the world. Like we would do these Instagram live happy hours and people would tune in from like Germany, you know? So it was such a cool way to reach a global audience. Um, but now that we're Entering this next phase of life, um, getting to travel again has been really exciting. I went to Europe last summer. I did um, Italy, France, and Portugal. And it was mainly me jumping on my friends' trips and then making them eat cheese with me. But I called it Cheese Pray Love. And <laughs> because of you know the connections I've made through the cheese world, I was able to go to Sardinia to visit Central Fromaggi. We did a whole cheese tour there. Um, Sardinia is just insane. And now for this cheese tour that I'm doing for my book tour, um, I'm going to, you know, California. I'm going to add in some dates in the Midwest later this year. And next year, I really want to try to do a European cheese tour, but bring people along. So that's something that I'm like working on right now. That sounds um, exciting. But yeah, I think like because there's so many amazing cheeses all over the world, I think that travel is a huge uh, component to that cheese plate, which wasn't something I really got to nurture because of COVID. But now I'm excited to be able to do things in person and to meet the dairy producers in person and to go to these farms because we forget the connection. You know, it's like you have cheese on your plate, but you're like, where did this come from? What what was the cow doing that day? What does the landscape look like? Who? What's the farmer's story? There's so much that goes into a cheese that it's like, I want to bring people into that experience so that they can think about what's on their plate a little bit differently. I love that. I, that cheese plate wants to party. I think the book is surprising for me because 
what everything you just said really does come through. This is not this is not just a, how to put together a cheese plate. Yeah. It really is a celebration of this incredible food and the things that happen because of it. Uh, the gathering, the communal self-care that you were talking about. I love that. So uh, just a couple of things I'm, I'm curious about. One is what does a book tour for a book called That Cheese Plate Monster Party look like? Because I don't see you sitting at the front of like a room in Barnes and Noble. Yeah. <laughs> with yeah. Like people in rows and folding chairs. Exactly. Like, what, what does it look like? So every date is a little different and putting it together has been kind of like Frankenstein because no one has really done this type of thing before. Um, so Sounds up your alley, by <laughs> exactly. the way. <laughs> like, let's figure it out. Why not? Um, so for an example, the launch party was at Talaya Beer in Williamsburg, amazing female and brewery. And we put together um, this concept for that cheese party. And like you said, I want to do everything but be in a Barnes & Noble. No, no shade to Barnes & Noble at right. all. Every, every cheese or every book party has its Exactly. Menu. And throughout this tour, we are supporting all independent bookstores. Yeah. So shout out, love bookstores, but not really the vibe for the party. So for this party, you walk in and first you see my merch table. So I love creating clothing that is cheese related. And that kind of is something that I took from music. So I'm using my my friend's band's merch company. And we have tote bags. We have hats. We have um, tour T-shirts. So it says like that cheese party tour on a T-shirt, uh, sweatshirts. So there's just like a whole swag merch store right when you walk in. So you can if you want to get something, you can get it. And then you turn and you enter the space. And there was a 30 foot grazing table that was separated in the cheese by numbers method. So cheese, meat, produce, crunch dip, garnish. And right at the start of the table was a five by seven little board, like a tray with edges and a ramekin. So the idea is that you take a tray, you take a ramekin, you build your own cheese board going down the line. Wow. And then at the end around the corner, there's a station for you to take a photo of your cheese board. Oh. So I had different layouts. I had ring lights. I had um, fake grass. There was all these different options for you to take a photo of your board. Um, throughout the event, there were blown up posters of the actual um, art in the book because I wanted to showcase the cheese plates in the book, but if we were to make them, they would be destroyed within the first, you know, 10 minutes. So in order to like preserve the art of it, we printed out big posters of the of four of the boards. And then underneath um, in the book for each plate, I have four bite builders, which is basically like a intentional pairing for each board. Um, underneath, we had these little bites. So you can look at the cheese plate and then taste it at the same time, which is something that I've always really wanted to do. Um, one day I want to do like an art gallery exhibit where it's just like massive photos of cheese plates and then underneath you can taste each one. But that's a separate idea. That's a great um, idea. And then there was also drink specials that paired with the cheese plates, um, like beer and cheese pairings, and then a photo booth for people, not just cheese, and music, just fun, upbeat music. Um, and then, so that's kind of the, the first like, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes was mingling. I said a few words on the microphone and then I did a book signing for anyone who wanted their book signed. So that took kind of, you could kind of go through the merch stand, get your book signed, be on your way. Um, so that was the launch party. It was insane. There were 200 people there. Um, it was so overwhelming. I was just like, this is just something that I've never dreamed of, like could happen. And here we are. Um, but that being said, like that specific structure can't necessarily be copied everywhere just because 
the venues are different, the spaces are different, the capacities are different. So every cheese party is going to be unique in its own way. So for example, um, Lady and Larder, one of my favorite cheese shops in LA, female owned, they were doing kind of like more of a daytime soiree. So there's going to be they're, they do beautiful food styling. So they're going to food style um, different bites and plates from the book on this big table. There's going to be like a serve yourself natural wine bar. Um, there's going to be a mingle moment and then a Q&A with um, a book signing. So that's going to be kind of more of a Barnes and Noble type event, but it's going to be at the beautiful Lady and Larder with this beautiful food. Um, I need to serve people food at every event. That right. is a must. <laughs> people can't come to a cheese event and not get cheese. So cheese is like utmost important. Um, and then there's another party we're doing at um, this uh, luxury dude ranch in Santa Inez. So in like wine country. And for that, they're getting a live band. We're doing um, bite builders. We're doing wine. So that one is going to be like a little bit different. Maybe a build your own cheese board station. We haven't fully fleshed that one out yet, but um with them, they were really adamant about having like live music at it. So it's, I think it's one of those things where it's like, I can't necessarily tell you what to expect at each cheese party because they're all different, but you will eat cheese, you will have fun and it will look beautiful. <laughs> and there will be music. And there will be music <laughs> and you'll get really good photos because everything I do has to look perfect. <laughs> so I, I noticed also in the book, you have a QR code to a playlist. Yes. So music does find its way. Yes. And, and also at least one of your contributors or collaborators on the in the book um, is also an author of a cheese and music or album yes. cocktail. Yes, Tanaya. Yeah, pairing kind of situation. Love that. So um, tell us about the playlist. Like what what music do you choose for a cheese? Playlist. Yeah. So the QR code leads to 40 different playlists and every playlist correlates to a plate in the book. So like the color theme of each playlist or of each plate, the playlists kind of go into that as well. So if we're taking that by the fire plate, for example, I did a collection of songs that are kind of like, you know, smooth jazz and makes you feel like you're sitting by a cozy fire and brings you into that like element of warmth. And there's like, um, like Ray Charles on there and just like such good music that makes you just feel like that, that warmth of a fire. Whereas, um, you know, that charcuterie plate leads you to a holiday playlist of a mixture of upbeat, folksy, different types of holiday songs that I love around the season. Um, there is, I mean, there's so many different ones. Like I think what I did was for each playlist, I would look at the cheese plate I would envision where I wanted to be while eating it <laughs> and then envision what I wanted to hear. So um, that Summer in the Mountains plate, that one was inspired by uh, my friend's ranch in Montana that we went to a few times and her mom would make these like beautiful picnics in a meadow. And so I looked at that plate and I was like, okay, what am I hearing when I'm there? And the playlist is all like country, folk, like you're in the mountains. It's, it's a combination of, um, you know, you have Marin Morris on there, you have uh, Maggie Rogers. It's, it's just like a nice combination of like, uh, chill folk country music. And then you have, um, that golden hour plate. And that one is, you know, the sun is setting and you kind of want to feel this, like the night is coming. So the playlist starts with acoustic songs and then it builds up into being more of like a party vibe. So 
it's there's genres that span there's music that spans every genre in all of the playlists um i also had a few people curate playlists for me so my dad curated the hot grill summer plate and channeled his barbecue summer music um my friend parker who actually is my soul cycle instructor <laughs> and his classes like got me through writing this book and he has the best playlist he's like a dj on the side so he did a playlist for that funky luncheon plate and he just kind of put all of his like funky like tunes that he does in soul cycle on there so yeah it's 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 all over the place but i think that um most people who've listened to them so far have agreed that like you know, you put on a playlist, you look at the plate, and it does correlate somehow. That's awesome. That's fun to play with. This book has layers. It has layers. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's, it's so, so hard much. to describe. Like, it's so hard to describe the book in, like, a, an elevator pitch, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that... Thank you. I'm glad that you uh, understand the, the well, vision. Well, <laughs> I, I have to say, also, there is this game at the back of the book towards the end this idea of like you're here's a you're at a party you're sitting around with your friends you get out you have your cheese plate there and you get out a deck of cards and you've correlated <laughs> the, the deck of like a suite of you know cards with um different different prompts yes right yes and you know some of them are like take an artsy photo of the cheese plate and tag that cheese plate on instagram if you want pair a cheese with a drink of choice i i love um Refill the drinks. Refill the drinks. Whoever yeah. grabs, whoever selects the jack has to refill the drinks. Yeah. One of uh, the ones that I really loved was make up a poem on the spot about yeah. the cheese plate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, so that game was inspired by this game that, well, first the layout of it is like Kings, which is a drinking game, but instead of drinking, you're eating the cheese plate. Um, but the rules were inspired by this game that my friends and I always play called Pizza Box Game. I don't know if it's like a widely known thing. Um, it started, my cousin showed it to me and then it made its way into my family for family parties. And then I brought it to my friends and now it's just this thing that, you know, we just play every time we're drinking, um, or eating cheese. And what you do is you take a pizza box or a cardboard and you have a coin and you flip the coin, wherever it lands, you write your name. So that's the first round. Second round, wherever it lands, you write a new rule and it can be any rule that you want. So it could be like, make a poem about the cheese plate on the spot. And if the coin lands on it, you have to do it. So eventually the whole board fills up with all these different fun rules. And I love that game so much. And I was trying to figure out a way to make like a cheese plate related version of it. But um, this one came to be, and we actually made a custom deck of cards that you can get on my merch store. And um, when you're like, you can put them around the cheese plate, pick it up and it has the rule on it. And on that one, I have, I think I changed one of the rules to be make a new rule. So if you pull like an ace, you have to make a new rule. So then it kind of ties into the pizza box game. But again, it's just ways to connect people around a cheese plate. There you go. So where, where do you take that cheese plate from here? Although it sounds like it just you just keep growing. finding opportunities <laughs> and ways to develop this. But yeah. is there something that you would like to do that you kind of have your, that you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah. Now? Um, yeah. Because you have, and you, and then let us know how we can find all these different. Yeah, for sure. Branches of that. Definitely. Um, so one thing that I've wanted to do for so long and just haven't found the right partner to do it with is creating a line of cheese boards, cheese knives, um, shallow bowls, <laughs> ramekins, <laughs> you know, just kind of things that you can use to make cheese plates with. Um, it's a very complicated world in the terms of 
manufacturing these types of items. Um, so I'm in talks with a few people of trying to figure this out, but that would be awesome to have my own line. I'd also love to develop my own cheese. Wow. <laughs> you know, like work with a creamery I love and figure out a cool co-branded cheese that we can put out on the market. Um, I want to do again, travel. So I'm, this isn't really announced yet and it's in very early stages, but working with a company to do a guided travel cheese tour next year, um, in Europe somewhere. So that's something that is really exciting. Um, writing a third book. I don't really know what it's going to be yet, but I feel like I have it in me to do another one. So that's, that's on the pipeline. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, um, what I do day to day is content creation. So just continuing to create some fun things on, on the internet. Um, I definitely want to try to build out a newsletter this year, just because again, with the algorithm and how we don't have any control over Instagram and TikTok these days, it would be amazing just to have a platform that I can reach people directly and they know to just check for the email. Um, I know Alison Roman and Molly Boz, they have like amazing communities like that. Mm -hmm. So taking them as inspiration to kind of grow this off social media community and then just doing as many in-person events as I can. I think the in-person classes and the parties are just so much better. (laughs) It's just, you know, I, I really want to, um, as much as the, as much as social media does help and it's great to reach so many people, the in-person connection and tangible things are what's most important. So trying to find that balance still. For sure. For sure. So speaking of finding, we can find you on Instagram Yes. now. Yes. Um, and you have four? I have. Yes. <laughs> I just can't stop making Instagrams. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at that cheese plate is like your main hub for all things, cheese recipes, uh, touring details, day in the life, whatever. That's all that cheese plate. That's like the main account cheese by numbers is the account that shows you how to build cheese plates step-by-step. So it's very specific to like a tutorial account. That cheese class is all details about my classes, my parties, the tour, all the details you need to find on anywhere I'm going and what I'm doing. And then Marissa Mullen is my personal account. That's just like my life outside of cheese. I don't really, you know, that one is not really a business. It's just my personal fun account. So follow along if you want. We could be friends. (laughs) And then uh, TikTok is just one at that cheese plate. Right. Well, this was really inspiring. I mean, it's really amazing how a simple, well, a seemingly simple um, act of self-care, something you kind of just do to unwind, decompress, and then share yeah. with friends has turned into a continuingly, like it's, it continues to evolve, whatever this is. Yeah, but it's, it's my life. It's yeah. just, you know, I think the most important thing is follow what you feel passionate about and you know, you are the only person, like you are you. So it could be anything, you know, like I think what I'm learning in all of this is that cheese is just the medium right now. It could be something else, but if you have a passion for it, it will just keep evolving because just kind of integrate into your life, you know? Well, thank you so much for joining us on Cutting the Curd, Marissa. It was great speaking with you. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for joining us. Again, the name of the book is That Cheese Plate Wants to Party. And I hope you pick it up and you get as inspired as I was to delve into the creation of cheese plates. And 
pairings and music and just being with people you love spending time with. Make sure to check us out at Heritage Radio Network. We've got tons of great podcasts on there, but of course, we always welcome the fact that you are listening to us at Cutting the Curd, and we will see you again soon. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.